maybe they are a little too big and a little bit too conspicuous. Right. They're, they're very limiting. Um, this thing is uh, 23 feet long bumper to bumper and it's a little bigger than I even wanted, but I don't, I don't find it too much of a problem. I cannot fit in a regular parking space. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 136 with Tom Roscoe. If you're hoping to move around a lot, a movable tiny home isn't always the best option. While vans and school bus conversions take the spotlight, my guest Tom Roscoe set his sights on a medium-duty ambulance. In this conversation, we'll learn why used ambulances actually make a fantastic starting point for a conversion, how to find them, and other tips for a DIY super mobile tiny home. Plus, Tom shares details about his solar, water, and off-grid living in his home. Stick around. But first, I'd like to tell you about the sponsor for today's episode, Tiny House Engage. Have you been working on planning or building your tiny house and feel like you want to connect with other people, get your questions answered, and just support each other along the way? Well, Tiny House Engage is the community for you. Tiny House Engage brings together tiny house hopefuls and DIYers to share plans and resources, learn from each other's challenges and mistakes, and celebrate our successes so that we can feel less alone while we build faster, safer, smarter, and cheaper tiny homes to embrace the tiny house lifestyle. Whether you're a tiny dreamer who is still figuring out all the systems, plans, and everything you need to go into your tiny house, or if you're actively building, Tiny House Engage has the resources and members to connect with for you. There are professional contractors in the community here to answer your questions about plumbing, electricity, and ventilation, and there's also plenty of interaction between members. If you need some encouragement or just need to know how someone else solved a particular problem, you'll get those answers in Tiny House Engage. I'm also very personally active in the community, answering questions and keeping an eye on things, so if you want to interact with me, this is a great place to do it. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, go to thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Registration opens on Tuesday, November 17th and will remain open until we get 20 new members or for one week, whichever comes first. So don't wait. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, visit thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Again, that website is thetinyhouse.net slash engage. All right. I am here with Tom Roscoe. Tom has been in one camper or another for the last 25 years. 10 years ago, he stepped out of the rat race and got serious about living small. After multiple vehicles that weren't just right, he decided to make his own. A year of labor and a pile of cash resulted in a tiny homemade from a medium-duty ambulance. Formerly owned by Yellowstone National Park, this go-anywhere tiny home now fits the bill for a full-time life of fun and adventure. Tom Roscoe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ethan. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And first, just want to say congratulations on such a beautiful conversion. It's such a, such a cool rig. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so I was hoping you could kind of take me back to, um, you know, what you're talking about in your bio 10 years ago, you know, getting serious about living small, what was your thought process? And it sounds like that's the ambulance. Wasn't your first 
kind of your first rodeo. So maybe take me back those 10 years and, and tell, tell your story a little bit. Yeah, no problem. I had a, a pretty big life change. I had a divorce. And um, at first I was kind of just doing the normal thing, going to work and um, doing the nine to five. And then um, I, I got the house and the divorce. And I, I realized that I started moving into the living room and then out of the bedroom. And then I, I started using a smaller space in that house that I, uh, that I thought I would need. And I realized that I don't need much space and I need to make some changes. So then I rented out the house, moved into a smaller space. I always had campers and it, it just kind of evolved into me eventually moving into that camper. And then I, I had several of them. Um, I've had a sportsmobile and a Chinook and, and they're all uh, really close, but not right for one reason or another. And so I ended up, um, what I like to say is I, I fixed them up and then I sell them for a loss every time. I did it about every two or three years trying to figure out what I wanted. And um, after going through several of, several of them, I uh, finally decided, like you just said, uh, it's time to make my own and, uh, and uh, get the things I want in there. Made a list of the things that I really wanted to have. And then basically when I built one, I uh, went down that list and put them all in there. So on that, so is that list of things that you wanted to have, did they, it did kind of make the ambulance an ideal starting point. Um, sort of. Um, I I wasn't sure which platform I was going to use. Um, I wanted something larger. I went overweight on some of my other campers, so I wanted a medium duty, a bigger platform to work with. So uh, that got me to the medium duty ambulance. I was also looking at a Fuso truck and putting a box on the back. Looked at the uh, it's called an LMT military truck as well, but decided it was a little too rustic for me. Then uh, what happened was I was with a friend and we had to get uh, picked up in her Sprinter van by a tow company, and they showed up in this chassis, um, a Kodiak forty five hundred, and we're riding in that truck back to the house, and I'm looking around. And I'm going, "What is this truck? This is great. It's a." Uh, it's a heavy-duty truck, uh, but it, it's kind of like a pickup inside, so it kind of fits both worlds. So then I started looking for those trucks and then stumbled across you know, the fact that they have medium-duty or a box, a built-in box in an ambulance that goes on that chassis. So from that day on, I was pretty much focused on the uh, medium-duty ambulance, and then I wanted a four-wheel drive, so it's tough to find this one, but uh, persevered. So this thing is was all is four wheel drive, so you really can go on any roads. And I mean, looking at pictures of it, it looks like it's pretty high off the ground. Like it's it's a beast. It it is. It's um. It gets a lot of attention, and um. I wanted it to be a little bit smaller, but um. So it came with dual wheels. It did come with four wheel drive. I didn't have to do any conversion or lifting or anything like that. But I wanted to have the the single they call them super singles or better off-road getting in the sand stuff like that and unfortunately these tires they're 40 inches tall and they are the smallest tires that i could get that could handle the weight uh this truck weighs about it's right at its limit of seventeen thousand five hundred pounds wow yeah so having those smallest tires that can take the weight does that make 
them more prone to blowouts or what is the disadvantage there? So there's a, it's kind of an ongoing debate. It'll, this will probably get people fired up, but uh, with the dualies, you can get rocks stuck in between them in the back. Okay. And if you pull out onto the highway, one of those rocks can fly out and, you know, it could kill somebody. So you, it doesn't happen very often, but I have had it happen. And so you have to get a strap or a hammer or something. You have to knock that rock out. But mostly you just have to check every single time you go off road, you have to stop and you have to check for rocks in your, in your tires. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you can't air down because usually those dualies are made to be, um, they're stiff, they're road tires. And you do find somewhere you can air them down. You can't go too low because the insides will actually rub. The two tires will rub on each other and eventually wear them out. Okay. And then you get better, uh, Flotation and traction, I think, especially up front, you have a bigger meteor tire up there rather than a, a little um, single. And uh, you can get a better ride too because you can get, um, you can let some air out and uh, air down for the rough roads and stuff. And you can't, yeah. you just can't really do that much. So, did you actually change switch to not dually in the back? You have single tires in the back. Yes, it's called uh, doing a super single conversion. I actually had to make. I had to have wheels made and then, um, yeah, I get the tires. I, and I've actually, um, I should also say I've had some pretty nightmare issues with these, um, wheels and tires combination. I, it looks like, um, after putting 25,000 miles on them and taking them off many times by myself and changing them, um, they're basically not round. And, uh, so I'm just kind of waiting for them to wear. It just makes for a little bit of a rough ride. I'll bet. I've had them balanced. Wow. Times or something. Yeah. So, um, looking through your project page, I was immediately struck by the photos of the electrical panel and all the wiring that was already in this ambulance. And it, it kind of made my head spin. Um, do you have a background in like electrical engineering? Um, or is it is it figure outable? Because I just look at this tangled mess of wires and I'm just like, well, it's not really a tangled mess. It's actually an organized mess of wires, but still, it's like, oh my gosh, where do you even begin? Like I cause I doubt this thing came with a user's manual to say, like, these wires control this thing and those wires control that thing. Right. Well, it it is um so you, you want to be mechanical for sure and you want to be patient. For me it was it was just a big puzzle. They are marked and they, um, you can get documentation if the ambulance is newer. I got documentation in two different ways. I called the, it's a wheeled coach. That's who made the box. And I called them and they sent me the, uh, the electrical build sheet. And so every single wire has a uh, identifier, a code on it. And then you can't always tell exactly where it goes or what it does, but you can find that wire somewhere else and then use it. I also, when I was pulling the uh, walls apart, I found another um, wire code sheet buried in one of the walls. So that was kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's a, the wiring, it's, it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. It's, it's good in, in the fact that um, wires are everywhere and I didn't have to run any new wires. Um, I still have a lot of the uh, um, old wires in. I left some extra just so I could uh, add things if I wanted to later. But the bad part is, just the the panel, the board that's uh, in my electrical closet there, 
I mean, there must be 50 little LED lights on there. So the electrical systems can have a pretty good uh, ghost load or parasitic draw. So gotta have a good battery system to keep up with that, I guess. And maybe you could take me through the systems in the ambulance because it looks like I definitely saw you put in fresh and gray water tanks. But yeah, why don't we start, since we're talking wiring, um, do you have solar panels, batteries? What, what are you running there? Okay, so um, I went with Victron Energy. Really impressed with that company. It's, it's the higher end stuff. It's expensive, but to me, totally worth it. So I have a Victron Energy controller and a battery disconnect and safety. And I have the MultiPlus 3000 inverter from them. And then I have two 200 amp hour lithium batteries. Um, and I think I need, I'm going to get one more. I think it's a little bit low. Uh, and then I have um, 1300 watts of solar on the roof. And my theory there is I don't really need that much, but uh, I don't want to tilt panels and I don't want to take them off and drag them into the sun. So uh, my idea was just to basically put as many up there as I could, because they're, they're relatively cheap, especially compared to all the other components. Uh, let's see. I think that's about it. Just the, um, the basics. Yeah. Did I miss anything? Is the, um, I would, I'm imagining, or I'm assuming that the ambulance is all wired, wired for 12 volts. Yeah. It is. Yes. Everything's 12 volt. And so do Game you have, way. um, you know, some 120 available or are you completely 12 volt? Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, so the multi plus, uh, inverter. Okay. That's run. I, I had the uh, 110. There was some in the ambulance already. I think there. I have two uh, circuit breakers, so each side has um, 15 amp service. So I have outlets. Nice. Yeah, I have a water heater that is a as a backup. It runs on 110, and then I have the mini split, which is 110. So okay. Yeah. And so you're able to be off grid in this thing all year round. Um, and you can run like the mini split. Yes, uh, I'm running it right now. It's it's only about 80 degrees outside right now, but uh, yeah, I just closed it up so it'd be quieter in here for this uh, interview. Um, I I have a Instagram post where I ran it all day. I think it was 95 degrees, and I was near Boise, and uh, the batteries did keep well. The solar and the batteries kept up. It works pretty well. Like I said, I have 400 amp hours of batteries, but I, 600 would be better, maybe even eight. I, I will upgrade that here in the future. Are you able to charge the batteries off of the the alternator? Yes, uh, that's Victron has a little smart box where you bring in the uh, the wire from the or the uh, the output of the alternator into the uh, little box, and then you hook up the batteries to the other side, and then it's really quite clever. I noticed that if I get a little bit of solar, it'll still let some of the alternator power come through. But if I have a hundred or a thousand watts going in, then it won't it won't kick on the alternator at all. And another good thing about the ambulance is this one came with uh, dual alternators, and I think they're 140 amp each. So yeah, it does quite well if I don't have sun, if I need to drive and charge. Right, because I'm assuming that. When it was an ambulance, there was not solar, so it needed to generate all the power it needed to run whatever medical life-saving systems and electronics were on board. 
Correct. Yes. They, uh, what they do with these, well, at least with this one, I shouldn't say all of them I've gotten in trouble doing that before, but, um, what they did with this ambulance is just a couple batteries, just standard car batteries. And then the ambulance is just running the whole time, anytime they're using it. And so the alternators are, are supplying everything they need. Got it. Well, let's talk about other off-grid systems. Um, how do you how do you collect and store and use water in the ambulance? Um, so collection is, I mean, the standard ways. You know, friend's house. I just got some at uh, the gas station the other day. I know of a I know of a secret faucet here in Moab in the park. Um, <laughs> I guess I just let that one out. But um, I also set up a system where. The water can come through a UV filter, like a standard house UV filter. So no worries about flow. You can bring it in pretty fast. And then it goes through a three-stage filter system. So I have a, I bought two pumps exactly the same. One of them is the main pump for the vehicle. And then I have a second pump that I can take down to a stream and just run it on 12 volt and basically fill up my tanks from the stream or... I guess I wouldn't do it from a pond, but yeah, a good freshwater source. And I've done that to fill the tanks. And so it goes through the UV filter and then three three part particulate filters? Yes, it goes through the UV and then it goes through a 50 micron and then um, I think it's a 5 micron and then uh, just charcoal for drinking. And so then after that, it goes into some kind of holding tank? Yes, everything gets cleaned before it goes into the freshwater tank. And because I'm full time, you know, I, I use the freshwater enough to where it never sits. It's, I've heard that some people uh, might get some mold or something like that in their tank, but mine's run through fast enough. Yeah. Um, and then I'm assuming you have a shower, a kitchen, all the all the plumbing in there. What do you what do you have for, uh, yep, for yep. water inside? OK. Keep going here. So, yeah. um, yes, I have uh, I have two water tanks, a uh, total of 70 gallons. And then uh, there's a water heater. It's an isotherm that runs uh, the engine coolant, that water. So anytime I drive, I get my water hot. That'll last a couple of days if the temperatures are mild. And then there's a backup um, 110 volt um, switch I can flip to heat up that water if I'm sitting in a place for more than a couple of days. So hot and cold water. I have a little tiny bathroom sink and I have a kitchen sink with um, a separate little drinking faucet. And let's see, a composting toilet. And I think that about covers it. Did I get it all? Yeah, shower. There's a shower in the pass-through. So uh, no wasted space there, hopefully. And I think that covers plumbing. What I missed? Oh, gray tank. Well, yeah. Where does the water go when you use it? Yeah. So um, I have about a 35-gallon gray tank. And, uh, yeah, I just have a little uh, hook a hose up and send it to a tree down the road there. Very cool. Now, I interviewed uh, someone. I don't know that her episode has gone live yet. Um, but she's actually developed in her tiny house a system where she can filter back her gray water back into the freshwater tank a series of series of filters um did you think about doing something like that um i actually listened to the episode it was really good i appreciate that one um and so 
it sounds great. My concern is cleaning those filters. I've heard some nightmares about how the filters get gummed up fast and and are tough to clean. Mm. If um you know if someone's got that worked out, I would be very interested because that would just be I mean you'd last all year with your water. Yeah, no, it it really piqued my interest. Also because you know for obvious reasons when traveling, but a big uh, challenge for for movable tiny houses, tiny houses on wheels is is oftentimes um, water. You know, when you park in a city or somewhere like that, that's oftentimes a big uh, barrier to to doing it from the legal side. So if you could basically say, I'm bringing this thing, I'm going to park it here. It's not going to get hooked up to or discharge any gray water or sewage water. That's a, it's a, it's a really cool idea. And I, I, I'm glad you heard that episode, the tomato box. Yeah, that's right. The tomato box. Yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds wonderful. I know there was a guy, I think he was a tiny solar was his company. And I think that he was doing it a, a, a couple of years ago. And uh, he was talking a little bit about the uh, the filters getting pretty gunked up. And um, uh, Kurt and Snow, I don't know. I think that might be a YouTube channel where they're doing it. But then this guy had a uh, he had quite the uh, cleaning schedule for his gray mm. water. So that's what concerns me. If uh, if there's a way around that, I would. Yeah, I'd be really curious. And those are the kind of things that I like to try. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Tiny House Engage. Tiny House Engage members are also able to listen live as I record these podcasts and interviews and ask questions of our guests. So if you're a big fan of the show, it's a great way to get an inside look at the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast and get access to episodes weeks or even months before they go live on the feed. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, go to thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Registration opens on Tuesday, November 17th and will remain open until we get 20 new members or for one week, whichever comes first. So don't wait. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, visit thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Again, that website is thetinyhouse.net slash engage. So we got power and water and, and I guess the, the mini split provides heat and cooling if you need it. It does. It has a heater. Um, and then there are a couple other forms of heat. I just put in a 12 volt, some heated floor mats, which uh, they don't use much power. They're on a thermostat, so they just come on when it gets seven or 60 degrees. I set it whatever I want, of course. Um, so that's nice on the cold mornings. I'm barefoot most of the time. And then um, I have the little S-bar, um, set the D2, uh, S-Burbacher, I think it's called, mm-hmm. air heater. Yep. Okay. Do you do any heating off of your engine, like kind of like the way you heat your hot water or? Um, no, I, I really don't have to start the engine at all. If um, With the little air heater, those things are amazing. Um, they're spendy, but they're crazy efficient. And, uh, you know, they, they heat the whole house with no issues at all. That's amazing. You usually think of like forced hot air as, as a less efficient way to heat a space. Yeah, these... These have been out a while in the marine industry for sure. And, and uh, a lot of people are putting them in their RVs now for a while. You know, this heater is the size of a bread box. Um, it's probably 1000 to 1500 bucks, But uh, all you do is 
put it inside. You have to put it your your exhaust out and your intake comes in from outside to burn and uh, just recirculates the air inside. And the wonderful thing about them is that unlike the old suburban furnaces that were in RVs and maybe still are, I hope not, they come on full blast. They go for, you know, five minutes and they heat the house up to 80 degrees and then they kick off and then the house goes down to about 65 and then they blast on. But this little... um, these little diesel air heaters, what they do is the fan slows way down. So you, you don't even know it's running, but it, it just maintains really nice. heat. Nice. Yeah. I, I was actually, I'm glad you said diesel. Cause I was like, this couldn't be electric and, and no. be efficient. No. Well, mini splits doing okay, but yeah. I haven't tried the, the heat part of it too much yet. Yeah. So that's, that is such a, a big benefit of being in a vehicle where you have that, you have the alternators, you've got a tank full of diesel, and you've got the coolant. That So you have so many ways. You can pull heat off of the engine for your hot water. You can use the diesel for a cabin heater. You can uh, charge your batteries. Um, I can see, I can really see the appeal of an ambulance or another kind of medium-duty vehicle like that. Yeah, I haven't really thought about that. I guess the tiny house... Um you're missing out on a few of those options. So it is, it is good. There, there are many options to yeah. get your utilities going. And it, it seems that, so are you, do you have propane at all or have you managed to kind of avoid propane? No propane at all. So. What are you cooking with? Oh, I have an induction cooktop, so it's electric. Nice. Um, yeah, work, they work great. I, I read reviews before I got it. I was a little worried about it. People said, you couldn't you know simmer soup or something like that you couldn't turn it down but i i see the opposite it's um it works really well and it doesn't it's not hot you know you cook your lunch in the middle of the day in the summer and uh it doesn't stay hot or heat up the house you know right yeah those are those are cool i you know there are so many things like that that if i were to do another tiny house i would be all over because i i'm I'm very reliant on propane in my tiny house and I would like to not be reliant on propane as much. Seems like in, uh, with your background in, uh, the podcast, you'll be doing another tiny house here. Yeah. I'm, you know, we were talking before the show a little bit and, and, you know, with COVID happening, I think everybody's itching to maybe travel a little bit and, and a, a van or a school bus or ambulance or something like that. Just, that's where my interests are right now in terms of my next build. But, um, Mm -hmm. so that's, it's, it's good to have you on the show for, for that, for that reason, if anything, Mm -hmm. get some Uh, info. There's some really cool buses out there. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think they're a little too, not necessarily too big, but maybe they are a little too big and a little bit too conspicuous. Right. They're, they're very limiting. Um, this thing is uh, 23 feet long, bumper to bumper, and it's a little bigger than I even wanted, but I don't, I don't find it too much of a problem. I cannot fit in a regular parking space, though. Yeah. Um, it's eight, okay. eight feet wide. Yeah. What, kind of, what kind of gas mileage do you get? So it's funny that everybody asks that, and um, I've been tracking it since the day I got this thing. Um, I put, oh, 25,000 miles on it. And I'm averaging 12 miles per gallon. And that's with um, that city that's four-wheel drive low, you know, back in the hills, dirt roads, highway. 
But then uh, there's one caveat I always say. I'm that guy who drives 55 miles an hour down the road and everybody hates me. So sorry about that. I saw in the, I saw that you have a like speed limit 55 sign on the back. Yeah. Yeah. And I have the, I left the, um, the emergency stripes back there too. So I'm, I'm hoping that everybody thinks, you know, Oh, they're taking grandma to the hospital. Let's give him some space. Yeah. 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 I get some respect. So it's, I mean, it's certainly not like, a stealth camper though. So have you had any trouble, you know, like where, where are you usually staying when you're in it? Are you like going to RV parks and campgrounds? Are you like in the back country kind of doing the overlander stuff or, you know, where are you staying in this thing? Yes, I'm, I'm 99% in the back country. In fact, last year I only um, paid for one campground and that was $6. And that was because, it was at the bottom of a really good bike trail. So it started and ended at the trail and no one else was there. Cause it was late in the season, but um, nice. no, I, I couldn't afford to, to do the campgrounds. It's, it's crazy expensive. And I just, I don't understand that. So, you know, with the composting toilet and the, the systems that they allow me to, to go where I want. And, and that's the idea with the four wheel drive as well is I find that you just find a, a little bit of an obstacle and get, just a little bit further out than everybody else. And, you know, you can get some peace and quiet out there. Nice. Have you ever, uh, ever gotten stuck? No, I'm, I haven't. And I'm terrified too, because, uh, you know, farmer John and his pickup is not going to pull me out. It's going to be a quite the ordeal. Yeah. You're going to need farmer John and a tractor. (laughs) Yes. A very big tractor. Yeah. Like a road, a road grader maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some, I, I, I've pushed it a little bit when I have other people and big trucks with me and I I've driven on the beaches and in the sand and I've, I've been places I shouldn't have been. Um, for the most part, I, I try to be pretty conservative and, you know, the four wheel drive is more to get me out of a bad situation. And I use the ground clearance to, and I use low range a lot to get, you know, to get back in there, but uh, I don't push it. I mean, it's, if I roll this thing, it's going to be a pretty bad day. So, yeah. Oh man. I wasn't even, I wasn't even going there. I wasn't even thinking about the possibility of rolling it. Yikes. Yeah. I've, I've had my other campers in some, some situations where I really shouldn't have been, but I uh, haven't rolled one. It seems like it's probably pretty bottom heavy with, with the truck bed essentially down there. Yeah, I, I think so. It should be. And I did try to, you know, the water tanks are all sitting on the floor. They're not underneath though. I wanted them inside. Yeah gray tanks outside the only thing that's really up high is the fridge Mm -hmm. so it should be okay i I would hope so but you know as soon as you as soon as you get just a little bit off camera and you start leaning over this thing you get scared (laughs) yeah Yeah. be a bad day how big is the is the fuel tank like how much how much diesel do you have to work with um yeah it's kind of funny that there's actually a sticker on the outside of the tank that says 53 gallons, but I learned um, two years ago that it's really 42 because I ran it dry, unfortunately, out here in the desert. Trying to, oh, no. I didn't even think I was close, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's about 42 gallons. I have an ambitious plan to um, get some more weight up front. So I think I'm going to build saddle tanks up front under my steps. That's where the batteries normally go and then get rid of that rear fuel tank. 
and that way I can transfer some weight up front and I'll, I'll get more capacity. So project list. How more capacity to put stuff in the, in the camper itself? No, more fuel capacity. Oh, more fuel capacity. Okay. Right. And I want to get the, I want to get some more weight on the front of the truck rather than the back of the truck. Make it, it ride a little bit better. Okay. Can you, so with all these systems that you've, you've talked about, you know, the dual, dual freshwater tanks and the filtration system and just all these various appliances and things, um, it, it seems like it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle to, to kind of fit them all in elegantly. So could you take me through maybe what your design process is like when you're, when you're working on one of these and like, how much does that change as you build it? Or do you like plan it all out and then build it? Yeah. No, I mean, well, I, that's such a hard question. You can tell by my answer there. Um, so I did make a SketchUp model and I tried to do most of my moving around of parts in that model. I guess there were a few things that I knew I wanted and those kind of defined where other things had to go. Um, I wanted the raised bed in the back. So I have a, a garage space for my bicycles underneath. And, and then I wanted as much counter space as I could have. I wanted my fridge to be up high. And, you know, when you start getting these rules, then now you start getting to where, okay, where am I going to put this water tank? And um, so I, yeah, I had, I had things that I wanted to make happen and um, they didn't all work. For instance, I had uh, the composting toilet used to roll out from a compartment into the shower area. And that was a really bad idea. So I had to rebuild that one. But um, for the most part, I did design it on SketchUp and I did build it pretty much from that SketchUp model. I didn't use the model for measurements or anything. Um, I did a lot of sitting inside the camper, staring at walls. I mean, a lot. It was kind of a fluid process. Let's just say that. Yeah, I, I saw that you saved a lot of the material that, you know, when you took it apart, took the ambulance part of it apart, that that was kind of almost like a sip material? Yes, and I was really surprised by it. I thought it was going to be, um, was that MDF, the uh, particle board stuff? But it turns out it is, I'm looking at it now, it is um, a fiberglass impregnated hard foam with uh, some sort of siding, almost like a vinyl or like a countertop. Um, it's good stuff. So I, I did I did save every bit of it, and um, most of it has gone right back in because it's light and it's strong. And then the other primary building material is um, white starboard, which is a – I always get it wrong. I think it's polyethylene. It's from the marine industry. It's It's about three times more expensive than plywood and twice the weight, which makes me wonder why I did it sometimes. But – well, the reason I did it is because it's white. I like that. And it's, um, you don't have to paint it and it's great to work with and you can't get any mold or water damage or anything like that on it. So it's worked out pretty well, actually. That seems worth it. Just, just in not having to paint it or finish it at all, just install it and that's done. Yeah. I, I love building stuff. I, I do not like the finish work. I mean, yeah. I just don't like the sanding and all that. That's another thing. It has to happen sometimes. 
Well, I, I really appreciate you've been super generous with, with all this info. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you, that you, you know, want to tell me about or common questions that you get about it? Yeah. You know, I, I would, um, I want to throw out numbers actually, because everybody asks and, yeah. and so, I, yeah, I mean, and I don't mind talking about it. So I've seen this ambulance for sale for, and, and with more miles, 150,000 miles on them, I've seen them for sale for as, as little as about 20 grand in two wheel drive. And then maybe, um, 20 to, well, 20 to 80 in four wheel drive, depending on mileage. So I bought this one. It, it came from Yellowstone National Park. I don't know why they got rid of it. Uh, they sold it to a broker in Houston and um, he actually bought it for $38,000. And then he marked it up to 44 and I bought it for 44 and it had 13,800 miles on it. So it was basically new, which was wow. wonderful. Yep. Um, and then I, I've kept track of the money I put in you know, like $10,000 for the electrical system, stuff like that. And I put in about 60. So I am, I'm between 105 and $110,000 for the whole thing. And like I said, people ask all the time or they're, they, they're embarrassed to ask, but they do anyway. So just throw those numbers out there. And then the other thing I get asked is where do I find an ambulance? And um, how did I find the ambulance? Um, you know, you just type in used ambulance on Google there. I had about 20 sites. And once I identified what I wanted, I would just go through that list every day until I found the one, until this one popped up. So it's not that hard. Um, uh, yeah, just type in used ambulance. There's ambulancetrader.com. There's all kinds of them out there. They're, they're an amazing platform or um, especially a starter. Uh, you can get them as low as $5,000. And, um, you know, oftentimes they're maintained very well, especially if they're at a firehouse. Sometimes if they are the places where they, uh, how do you say that? Um, they're just on contract, you know, those, those might be pretty rough, but, um, you know, you get the ambulance, it has the electrical system, basically. Oftentimes they have a walkthrough from the cab. They've got the doors. They've got at least a couple windows. Everybody makes a bed out of the bench. On the other side of the counter, it's really easy to put in a, a stovetop and a fridge. I mean, I've seen people do very little work and, and have a really nice camper for just not much money. I mean, 20 grand, 10, if you really want to go two by four budget. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm kind of thinking right now that, that it seems like there's a bit of a rush on like sprinter vans because people are buying mm -hmm. them to convert them. And you know, there mm -hmm. is that smaller size ambulance that you see like in cities and, and around that, that isn't, maybe it's a light duty ambulance. I don't know what you would call it, but it's built on a smaller platform than what, than what you've got. Um, I, I know what you call it. There's one called a mini mod. It has okay. uh, single rear wheels and it's, um, it's a lighter duty. You wouldn't be able to put a lot of stuff in it, but I mean, it's a tiny little thing. You could, you could zip around in that thing and park in uh, regular parking spots all day long. Right. Right. And then probably get better, you know, maybe a little bit better gas mileage, but you're probably not going to be off-roading and going, going overland. Um, oh, I mean, they have four-wheel drive ones as well. So uh, you can buy them right from, uh, 
right from the firehouse sometimes and four wheel drive, very capable. Yeah. Yeah. I just, so I just Google searched the mini mod and that is exactly what I'm thinking about. It's like a, like a Ford three fifty platform. Right. I think, or maybe four. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't talk. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the E they quit doing the E three fifty. So yeah, now it's something newer, but it's yeah. probably the old E three what you're looking at. Yeah. And a lot of those have the good, uh, 7.3 liter diesel engine in them. And yeah, just a real solid platform. And, and the quality of the box in these things is just absolutely incredible. I do well, know that. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. I, I did find the uh, original documentation on this ambulance, uh, like I said, and Yellowstone National Park paid 220 grand for this thing. So it is serious quality. Just the doors and stainless steel hardware. It's just, they're built really well. Yeah. And also, I mean, one of the biggest challenges when you take like a you know a work van and convert it is that you've got to insulate it it's going to be like a pressure cooker in the summer and a freezer in the winter so uh, the ambulance i'm assuming is already insulated they do come some of them are insulated pretty well some of them not so much you do have um you can have an issue well you will have an issue with thermal bridging so for instance, my entry door is aluminum on the outside, aluminum on the inside, and they might have a couple, you know, one inch or, or a couple sheets. Well, no, one sheet of one inch rigid foam in there. But it, honestly, it doesn't do much. That door gets hot when it's in the sun. So if you really, you know, if you're going to be serious about a camper or make it into a full time home, you really need to rip all that out and yeah. and put some insulation between the metal and the inside outside and this is your full-time home correct yeah this is it um i've been in this one for a couple years now and um yep i do not have any other domicile and it sounds like you're not are you thinking about the next one or you you like you're set on this one for a while i'm i'm actually very set on this one i'm really happy with it it there are things that um you know if something bugs me i'm more along thinking along lines of uh, i'm just gonna rebuild it i'm just going to rip that out and do it different um i'm very happy with this i i feel like i i nailed the platform this time and and i have those goodies that i wanted you know i have my walkthrough and my shower and toilet and my skylight above my bed just all these little things that i i really wanted to have so i'm very happy with it and nice. it's been doing really well that's awesome one thing that I like to ask all my guests is, um, do you have any books or resources to recommend if they're interested in, in going down the, the ambulance path? Now, as you know, I've listened to several of your podcasts now, so I was expecting this question. But Good for you. I, I kind of want to throw a little wrench in, though, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll just tell you what I want to do, and then you, you decide if you want to let that fly. So... Um, and I'm not going to get political, but I am going to talk a little bit about um, a political option. So I don't even know when this will come out. It might be after the election, but there's a podcast about a thing called ranked choice voting. Oh, yeah. And I would love it. You've heard about it? I've heard all about ranked choice voting. I think it would be great. Okay. Okay. So that's all I want to say. Um, well, what's the podcast? Is, I'm going to send a link to you. It's Radio Lab. I think it's called Tweak the Vote. Yep. And they basically go through um, how it works and why it works and, and how it's bipartisan. It's good for everybody. It's good for everybody but the politicians. Yeah. 
So it's something that uh, I would just like people to know about. So if you'd be so kind as to put a, put a link in your uh, in the show notes, that would be awesome. For sure, I will. I will do that. And I I think that this will probably come out after the election. But um, I think that regardless of which election we're talking about in the future, it would be great if more states switched over to ranked choice voting. I think they do it in Maine, actually. Um, yeah, I heard there are some counties that are already doing it. And, and I know you'll hear on the podcast that uh, Ireland used it. The campaign, the guys are nice because they might get their vote from another person. So they have to be nice to each other. And then um, see what was the last thing. Oh, everybody's every vote counts, you know? Yeah. Because you get to put you get to list them by choice. Right. You can put a wild you can put a wild card as your first choice, not not feel like your vote was wasted. Exactly, because if that um, wild card gets dropped, then your second choice goes in there. So it's it's really cool. And then I do have a book that I recommend. Uh, It's just about travel and, and van life, and it's called Drive Nacho Drive. It's by Brad and Sheena. Uh-oh, I'll have to look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at their... I wrote it down. I lost it. Uh, Brad and Sheena Van Orden. Brad and Sheena Van Orden. Okay. Cool. Well, Drive Nacho Drive. Drive Nacho Drive. It's just a really good travel book. that They get in a uh, Volkswagen van and they go to South America. And... and uh, they're they're a fun couple, and it kind of gives you an idea of what this van life could be like. Cool, and living tiny and getting out there. Awesome. Well, I so I feel like I have to throw I have to throw two books back at you because there's a book. Okay, good. Uh, it's it's uh, I believe it's a Steinbeck novel called um, Travels with Charlie, and okay, it's one of his later books, and it's he it's a you know. It's not fiction. He actually converted a camper and and went out driving across the country um, with his dog and his dog's name is Charlie. And it's a beautiful book and it will definitely make well, you're already living it. But um, of course, it's beautifully written because it's Steinbeck. Um, And then the other book is uh, the title is actually a riff on that one. It's called Travels with Willie. And it's written by this guy, Willie Weir, who's a famous bike uh, touring guy. So bicycle touring. Um, and it actually convinced me and my cousin to do a 1500 mile bicycle tour 10 years ago, which kind of precipitated our, my whole tiny house build and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm definitely going to pick up that book because I love a good, I love a good travel book. Okay. Excellent. I will, I'll check yours out too. That sounds wonderful. Thanks for sharing. All right. Well, Tom Roscoe, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was really fun. Yeah, it was great, Ethan. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, getting me on here. Thank you so much to Tom Roscoe for being a guest on the show today. You can find links to Tom's website and Instagram, as well as a video tour and several awesome photos of the ambulance at thetinyhouse.net slash 136. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 136. I also want to remind you to check out Tiny House Engage. Registration is only open for a limited time, and it is a great place to meet other tiny house dwellers, get support on your plans and build, and interact with me. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.